Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And can I say it again? And uh, we have no uh, end in sight for this great chapter. This is a wonderful time for all of us. But I have to tell you, as you're, as you're moving toward Romans 8, you know, there, there was a deep sense in the last few weeks in studying this passage that, oh, I may preach sermons here and there. I don't know, though, at my stage in ministry and life, that I'll ever be able to go back through Romans 8 at this depth in a pulpit or in my own study again. And it's almost like I want to drink every drop while we're here. Romans chapter 8. Let me set the three verses in our minds that we'll be studying this morning. Verses 23 through 25. Paul says, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. All of us know what it's like to stretch for something. What I mean, to reach out for something, to long for something, to look forward to something in the future. Stretching out and wanting it to be here. If you think about it, this stretching for something or some time in the future can involve two kinds of motivation. First, there's looking forward to something that's desirable. An example that almost everyone can relate to is the way a child begins to stretch and hope for December 25th Sometime in the middle of November, right? Or maybe the way we look forward to a family vacation or a special trip. Or the way a high schooler reaches for summer vacation each spring. That longing to get somewhere and something and experience something. Another way to think of it is that wonderful feeling of longing when you're going to see someone you haven't seen for a long time. Or meet someone important for the first time. I vividly remember how I felt in the weeks leading up to a certain Christmas party that our family was invited to years ago in Los Angeles. We were invited uh, uh, as as some friends of a friend to go to this this party. It was one of those upscale parties uh, down just in in the Hollywood area. Uh, I have never felt more out of place, I think, in my life. We show up at this party, and what was special about this party was not just the host, not just the occasion, but I had been told a few weeks earlier that Buzz Aldrin was going to be at this party. Now, I grew up as, I was going to be an astronaut. In fact, I'm still training to be an astronaut. I, want, I loved all things NASA and space related. Buzz Aldrin, the second man to ever walk on the moon. I hope you know that, right? Um, and I remember finally we came. Finally, we, I mean, I was nervous all day. I was going to get to meet Buzz Aldrin. If I could shake his hand. I was in my 40s and I felt like I was five years old. So many things I wanted to say, so many things I wanted to ask, but when I met him, I felt like a second grader. This is what I said to him. You ever said something and walked away and go, oh, if there was a replay button in my life. So I I shook his hand and I'm looking at Buzz Aldrin and I said, thanks for going to the moon. (laughs) That's it. 
<laughs> not what was it like, or thanks for going, and I walked away and going, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. It was so cool to meet Buzz Aldrin. There's another kind of reaching for something in the future, for an event in the future, for something that's going to happen in the future. And that's the kind of stretching that is not just associated with what you're going to experience, but it's the kind of stretching that wants to get out of what you're experiencing, out of a condition, out of a situation. People in the hospital want to get out of the hospital. People in prison want to be released. People in pain want to move on to a time of relief. In other words, you're reaching to get out of a condition, not so much toward a condition. Years ago in California, I served with an elder who, served, who was imprisoned in a Japanese uh, camp in prison camp in World War II. I remember him telling his story of uh, torture, of cruelty, Daily, the only thing that kept him going was the thought, the idea, the precious prayer and hope that one day he could get out of that prison camp. Reunite with his family. Obviously, he did. In his excellent book called Heaven, Randy Alcorn talks about this. And this is the way he puts it. We are homesick for Eden. We're nostalgic for what is implanted in our hearts. It's built into us, perhaps even at a genetic level. We long for what the first man and woman once enjoyed, a perfect and beautiful earth with free and untainted relationships with God, each other, animals, and our environment. This is an incredible sentence. Every attempt at human progress has been an attempt to overcome what was lost In the fall. Think about that. Every single attempt at human progress has been an attempt to overcome what was lost in the fall, to try to regain paradise. He goes on We long for a return to paradise, a perfect world without corruption of sin, where God walks with us and talks with us in the cool of the day. Because we're human beings, We desire something tangible and physical, something that will not fade away, and that's exactly what God promises us. A home that will not be destroyed, a kingdom that will not fade, a city with unshakable foundations and incorruptible inheritance, end quote. He's right. Put all this together, our desire to experience something wonderful, our desire to escape something undesirable, those two desires, and you understand what Paul means when he says that we, like the creation, groan and long for heaven. The Apostle Paul describes both kinds of longings in the passage before us and encourages us to think about, to talk about, to meditate on how we think about this world and how we think about heaven. We don't think nearly enough about heaven. We think plenty enough about this world. In our last study, we looked at the fact that creation groans, creation longs. Creation wants to be redeemed. Creation wants to be saved. Paul personifies the creation and says that there are so many things broken about this world that the world wants to be freed from, the creation wants to be freed from. After describing that, he connects that longing of the creation with our longing in verse 
23 and says, not only this. Not only does the creation groan to be freed from brokenness and to be restored to wholeness. He says, we too, just, that, just like that, we also groan and long for a day when we are finally home with the Lord and all things will be made right. Let's break down these three verses As we do, here's an outline you can follow along with. Three characteristics of a Christian's stretching for heaven. Just reaching and stretching. Three characteristics of a Christian's stretching for heaven. First characteristic is in verse 23, a longing groan. A longing groan. Like I said, verse 23, not only this. In other words, not only does the creation groan, But also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Just like the creation groans, we groan. He says here, he talks about us having um, first fruits. We have the first fruits. This is the best and first of the harvest. When you have any kind of um, uh, seed bearing or, or grain bearing or fruit bearing plant, it's always the very first fruits that do two things. The first fruit, when the fr- fruit first begins to appear on a tree or, or a head of wheat, that's the best fruit. It has the first uh, uh, um, adaptation of the, the soil that comes through in the nutrients. It's the best of, uh, of the taste, the best of the nutrients. But it also tells us that there's more coming. It's an encouraging thing. If the tree begins to bear fruit, you know that more fruit is on its way. We have the first fruits. First fruits of what? The Spirit. This is important. We have a sense of understanding our our place of being led by the Spirit. Paul's already told us. That's the first fruit of an experience with the Spirit of God in heaven. We're just beginning to be introduced to what it means to walk with, to live with, to talk with God By faith, and one day that will be sight. It's a promise. There's more coming. And it's a promise that it's the best. Why is this the best? Because we have something to look forward to. We've been saved. We're not going to hell. Now, in reference to creation, namely God's future redemption and future culmination, he connects us with that. The creation will one day be redeemed. It will be remade, reformed, renewed. Now, the, the Greek language here is very interesting, and you get a sense of it in the English. Look, look at there, and uh, if you have a New American Standard, it's pretty obvious. It says, we ourselves, even we ourselves, within ourselves. It's a lot of ourselves, isn't it? This is all reflexive language. He's talking about an experience that a believer has within themselves. So as we go through these verses, I think we should back up and ask, is this our experience? Do we really experience this within ourselves? Is this this a part of our longing, a part of our experience? Also, we ourselves, and if you pick up the verb, we, even we, even we like the creation, ourselves, Within ourselves, deep down deep, groan. An interesting word groan. We looked at it briefly in the last study. Um, Stenazo, it means to groan, sigh, as a result of deep concern or stress. Sometimes it's an audible 
nonverbal expression. You can hear it, but it doesn't have words. Here he speaks of this groaning going on within ourselves. It can be audible, but it doesn't have to be. Words used very interestingly in Mark 7, 34. And looking up into heaven, he sighed. Jesus sighed, just, ah. Acts 7, 34. I've seen the suffering of my people in Egypt and have heard their groanings, their sighs. Speaking of God in the time of Moses. To groan or to sigh can be the result of different circumstances. Uh, in a number of languages, clear distinction is made in any groaning or sighing. Here in the Greek language, it has just this idea of whatever you feel is best expressed by a sigh than it is a word. You understand that. You understand the shock value of that, and you understand the longing value of that. Uh, I was with uh, uh, someone recently when uh, we, we saw a, a, a car crash. And the first sound out of this person's mouth was, ah. That didn't need any explanation. It was observing the trauma of that and it just came out. We all know what it means to groan and to sigh within ourselves when we long for something. There's another side of that. That's when you see that, uh, that 18, 19 year old guy who you weren't sure had any emotions in his whole life, suddenly finds that, that love of his life and he's just like a puppy. He's, oh, oh, when he talks about this girl. That's the sigh, it's longing, it's just expressing something with a sigh that words can't communicate. Remember, there are three groanings within a few close verses in this passage. The creation groans in verse 22. We groan here in verse 23. And we'll find out in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit groans. By the way, next week we're going to look at when God prays for you. And when God prays for you, it's kind of a strange thing to think about, right? The Holy Spirit prays for us. When God prays for you, it's with groanings and it's with sighs that are understood within the Trinity. But that's for next week. As a result of the work of the Spirit, the whole chapter accents the Holy Spirit's work here and highlights here in this moment one of the most important parts of a believer's experience. The first fruits of our experience with the Holy Spirit is we groan and sigh. Why? Because we're longing for heaven. What the Holy Spirit will do in the future, we have the first fruits of here. Now, just as the creation groaned and longs for relief from being broken, from being um, uh, unfinished, from being uh, uh, in distress, so do believers. You could actually say, so does everyone. But believers have, have a different kind of groaning. I think the whole world, every person groans because of the condition that we're in at different points in life. But we have not only the, the sighing of wanting to get out of this condition, we also have the groaning, that positive side of wanting to be in another condition with the Lord himself. You know, I was thinking about this. What does this groaning look like? What does this deep sigh emotionally and spiritually look like? Well, certainly it's our frustration with a broken world where things don't always go as we wish. If you want to groan or sigh, just watch the evening news and you will groan and you will sigh. 
our exasperation with remaining indwelling sin, our grief over tragedy, our pain, our suffering, heartache, sickness, trials, the death of friends and family, and even our thoughts of our own impending death. Verses 15 to 17 introduced us to something that Paul is going to pick up here now. Just for a moment, look back at verse 15. He says, you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of, here's our word, adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. This is a term of intimacy, not of immaturity, we said. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we are, may also be glorified with him. We've been adopted by God. We are children of God. Now Paul comes back to that issue of adoption here at the end of verse 23. We groan within ourselves. What is this groaning attached to? Now you're going to find that this, this, this phrase waiting eagerly has been used three times in this passage. The creation eagerly waits, and here twice he talks about our eagerly waiting within two verses. Verses 23 and verse 25. Eagerly waiting. What are we eagerly waiting for? Well, it says in verse 23, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now you've got to say, hang on, hasn't that already happened? Haven't we already been adopted? And the answer is yes. But Paul specifies it here. We have not yet been adopted in bodily form. That's the end of the verse. In body, the redemption of our body. It's like the world is the orphanage. God has come and chosen us, but he hasn't come and gotten us to take us home. We're his, but we haven't gone home with him yet. We're still here. This is the redemption of our body, that last and great day when we will finally be home. Salvation always has a two-part experience, coming to Christ in the first and decisive stage of faith, but ultimate deliverance from sin and death is that second part of salvation, and that's what's talked about here in the redemption of our bodies. Hope is not merely an option for the believer. It's a necessary part of what it means to be a Christian. Let's put that all together. Look at verse 23 again. And not only does the creation groan, we ourselves also groan. You can skip ahead. Even we ourselves within ourselves, it's deep down. Because of the fruits of the, we're the first for the Spirit, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons. This, this term waiting eagerly is really interesting. It means you can't wait. You're sitting in a concert hall and you're about to hear something that you, you've come to, to see, you've paid to watch, and you eagerly wait for it. You want it to start. This is what's remarkable to me about this passage. It's not a command. He doesn't say do this. He says this is what we do. Which makes us beg the question, do we eagerly wait for the redemption of our body. If you're junior, senior higher, or collegian, let me tell you that I remember, um, actually, when I still go out to play touch football or something, I still think I'm 18. My body reminds me very quickly that I'm not. The older you get, you long for redemption of the body. 
Don't you? Those of us who are a little older. This morning, I got up very early and I remember putting my feet on the floor and taking those first few steps and my ankles and my knees and my hips asked me in a severe way, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? We long for the redemption of the body. It's not just the renewal of our body. It's because in our body, think about this. We'll come back to this in a moment. We will have eyes of faith that have now turned to eyes of sight. We will see him as he is. We will know as we're known. It'll all be corporeal then. So a longing groan. Does that characteristic represent your stretching for heaven? Number two. A faith-fueled hope. A faith-fueled hope. Now, I say faith-fueled hope. You'll notice that faith is not anywhere mentioned in this verse, but it's full of faith. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen, it's not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? This verse reintroduces us to that idea, the most foundational idea that Paul's talked about in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and that's faith. Justification by faith. Faith is all about hope. It's seeing things and building your life on things that you cannot see with physical eyes. You only see with the eyes of faith. That's how hope is built. Now, this is not the kind of hope where you wish something would happen. You know, you can hope the royals win. That's not this kind of hope. This is a hope built on something that you know is going to happen. If you're looking forward to December 25th as a, as, a, uh, as a child, that's not I wish it would happen. That's I know it's going to happen. I'm going to respond in light of it happening. It's you know you're hoping for that day, not wishing it would happen. Hope is foundational to our faith. Titus 3, 7 being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not the wish for, but the hope, the assurance. We know that day is coming. That's biblical hope. How does that work out? You can say it with me. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not what? Seen. See how that fits together? We live our lives on, on realities that the world can't see and doesn't believe. I think, when I look at my own heart, all of my doubts that have ever arisen in my own life or about the Bible or about the faith come down to my desire to live by sight now and not by faith now. It's trying to make the realities of heaven the realities of life now. That's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians? If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we've hoped in Christ just for what he can do in our life here, we, people should feel sorry for us. That's not biblical Christianity. The point is that a believer who is growing in grace is a person who is constantly exchanging hope from the things that excite and motivate us in this world to a hope in that great day of resurrection and glorification in heaven. Now just for a moment, I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Because Paul talks about this in his own uh, experience. I think it's really helpful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> It's, it's, I hate to say this, it's almost funny. There's, there's, some, there's some humor here. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. You know what he's talking about there? Your body, your tent. It's your tent. It's not your house. It's not permanent. There's no concrete. There's no rocks. It's a, a temporary residence. We know if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that's a euphemism for when we die, we have a building, moving from a tent to a building, from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This, this is talking about our body, the redemption of the body. For indeed, in this house we, wow, does this sound familiar? Groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Does that sound familiar? Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For, indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Does that not describe life? Because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. In other words, we... We know that the, the longer we live in this tent, the more ragged it gets, the more difficult it is to live in. We long to be swallowed up in something better. Verse five, now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Doesn't that sound familiar? They're the first fruits of the Spirit. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, there it is, we're walking by faith and not by sight. We're not with him present, uh, 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 physically. For, our, here's our famous verse, we walk by faith and not by corporeal vision, by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Is that, is that true? Can you say that? Can you say, I would rather be absent from this body and in heaven and present with the Lord? So his summary, verse nine, therefore, also, therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. We are of good courage. We prefer to be in another place. Do you have that courage to be in another place? Well, this, this whole passage, this whole idea in Romans and 1 Corinthians 5 drills down into the most basic motivating forces of our lives. What do you live for? What do you die for? What is your disposition about Heaven. I heard a long time ago, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Isn't that interesting? Are you trying to do everything you can to put off death because this world has become so precious? 
You know, I wonder, living in, in the place that we do and in the condition that we, we have for ourselves with homes and cars and washing machines and dishwashers, even if that's your children, dishwashers. If we've made our world so full of conveniences, we have antibiotics and we have casts to fix broken bones and we have pills to fix pain. And I wonder if all of that, which is a grace of God, I'm certainly glad we have, if that works against us wanting to leave here. Have we furnished this hotel room and said, this is better than a mansion? That transitions us into the final characteristic of a Christian stretch for heaven, a longing grown, a faith-fueled hope, and third, an eager wait, an eager wait. We've already met this once in our passage, now we meet it again, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. If we hope for what we do not see, that is so important. Is your hope, is what you look forward to, is what you're longing for, is what you groan about, something that you cannot see, or is all of our emotions, all of our hope, all of our anxieties tied to this place? This entire concept of waiting is built on, see that little word perseverance? It is a workhorse Greek word, hupomone. Hupo mone, from minnow, to remain, to live. Hupo, under, to live under the, the roof, to live under a weight, to remain in one place. It speaks of endurance. We learn to bear up under the sufferings that are ours because of this life because we have something else that we hope for. We remain, we, we remain under the suffering of this world, under the pain of this world, under the inconveniences of the world as we eagerly wait for it. What is it? What we don't see. What do we not see? A reunion physically in the body with real eyes and real hands to touch a real and physical Lord. That's what we long for. <laughs> Paul's... He's not, uh, he's not shy about saying this. In 2 Corinthians 4, you can just listen if you want. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. We do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Can you feel the outer man decaying sometimes? I... Uh, I made a phone call on Friday. And I put the phone up to my ear and I forgot who I was calling. My inner brain is decaying as much as my outer man. Then he says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Listen, we look not at the things which we can see, we look at the things which we cannot see. Isn't that a strange thing to say? Look at the things you can't see. What are those things we can't see? Oh, you can talk about the experience of heaven, you can talk about the wonder of the gold streets and the great city, but the, what we wanna see that we can't see right now is the Lord. We will, 1 Corinthians 
See him as he sees us. Wow. We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. I love that. They're gonna fade away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the second time that Paul has used the phrase wait eagerly in just a few verses. He used it back in verse 19. He also uses it in verse um, 23. And now he comes again. We wait eagerly. Are you eagerly waiting for heaven? I'm not asking if you have a death wish. I'm saying is there any part of your experience that eagerly waits, longs, wants heaven? You know what I think some of us do? Is we want to go to heaven so we don't go to hell. Instead of wanting to go to heaven because that's where Jesus is. You know why most of us have mysterious thoughts about heaven? Is we think it's just some, some um, eternal harp concert. That's not heaven. Heaven is everything that you've ever enjoyed, infinitely multiplied and enjoyed with the Savior who gave you those delights. It's incredible. The brokenness of the world along with the suffering that we see and experience and along with the struggle with our own residual sin should unfasten us from this earth and set our minds on what lies beyond the grave. So that when a believer dies, we can say with Paul, death, it's almost like death says, you punk. Death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? You think you won? Do you know what just happened to that person? He mocks death. What I find most interesting about this passage, again, this is not a command to stretch for heaven. It's a description of what should be happening in in us stretching for heaven. This is all indicative. This is just what happens. And my question is, does that describe my own heart? My answer is sometimes, but not nearly enough. Does it describe you? Do you long for heaven? Do you groan for heaven? Do you long for other people who don't have that hope to be engaged in the same longing and eagerly wait, uh, waiting eagerly that you do? Is that your experience? Does that represent your longings? Remember Paul's discussion with himself. I have to go here. Um, in Philippians chapter one, um, this, is, this is an incredible little conversation that Paul has with himself. You know uh, the famous words, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 21, Philippians 1, 21. Then he says this, but, and then he has this internal conversation. Hmm, I, if I am to live on in the flesh, if I'm gonna stay alive, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But I don't know which one to choose. Which one of what? I am hard pressed from both directions. What two directions, Paul? Having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this? I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Have you ever had a conversation with yourself that says, ah, I hope I die sooner than later. I hope I come to Christ sooner than later. Oh, it would be so much better to be with Jesus now than on this earth. But I also know 
that being here means fruitful ministry. It means serving others, loving others, discipling others, evangelizing others. It has a ministry purpose. Hmm, I can see value in both. I'd rather die and go to heaven, but I guess while I'm alive, I'll be faithful. You ever had that kind of conversation with yourself? Are you hard-pressed from both sides? Do you prefer to be absent from the body and present with the Lord? Do you groan and long for the redemption of your body so that you will then see him as he is and know him as you are known? Are you stretching for heaven? I think that the more mature a believer becomes, the farther we reach, the greater we strain toward that great day when we will hold his physical hand. If that's not attractive to you, if that's not a part of your motivation, let me just beg you. Turn to the one who is alive and not dead. Turn to Jesus who has conquered the grave and promises hope for anyone who would die to conquer the grave with him and enjoy him by the forgiveness of our sins, the granting of God's righteousness in him. I would beg you, please, join us as groaners for heaven, as stretchers for heaven, as reachers for heaven. If you have any question about that, I beg you, please don't leave the room without talking to someone about that. People around you, our prayer room will be open. I'd be glad to talk to you. Folks, he's not telling us to do this. He's assuming it's a part of our lives. Let's make sure that it is. Father, thank you for hope. Hope in what is not seen, but unseen. I just think about that moment, that time, that day, those, that week. I'm not sure when it was when you inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words in this chapter, knowing we would study them on this rainy day in 2015 at Mission Road. We're grateful. We're thankful. We're convicted and we're motivated. Lord, please give us greater and more accurate glimpses of heaven and our time with you that make us stretch more for that time and that place with, with that person rather than clinging so desperately here. Cause this passage to inform how we think about our own life and death. Cause this passage to help us to think about the passing of believers and from not life to death, but from a world of death to eternal life. Teach us by your word. As we heard earlier, order us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.